We're talking, uh, Jono's mentioned that we're talking about Jesus' FAQs. Now, I did a survey in our prayer meeting this morning and uh, I wasn't surprised with the outcome, but 60% of our, our prayer meeting people did not know what FAQs stood for. And um, I said to Jasmine earlier in the week, I said, well, I'm going to have to explain FAQs. She said, really? And I said, yep, I can think of a few people that probably will go, what? And um, I know that most of you do. I know that if you're anything under about 60, you probably do. If you're over that, maybe. If you don't have a computer, you probably have no clue. <clears throat> and, um, but I'm sure that most of you have seen that FAQs stands for Fast Around Corners. <laughs> Apparent, no it doesn't. <laughs> well, that's what I got told this morning in our prayer meeting. I asked, what's FAQ stand for? And it came back to me fast around corners, but I couldn't work out how corners starts with Q. Um, but I thought it was a good answer. And um, so, but frequently asked questions. So that's what, if you see FAQs somewhere, you are going to see a bunch of questions that are frequently asked so people don't have to ask the same question all the time. And so what I wanted to do this series is to look at 10 or 11 of these questions that Jesus asked, whether they were, he asked them frequently, I'm not particularly sure, but I know that he asked many of them more than once. So if that's more than once, it must be frequently. So we're going to look at frequently asked questions of Jesus over the next few weeks. And uh, we start this morning with one that I thought would be really, really appropriate for you this morning. And it's the question, who do you say that I am? It's a question that Jesus asked, and uh, we'll get it into context in a minute. But during Jesus' life here on earth, and in particular the last three years or so of his life, Jesus went around preaching and teaching the crowds and specific individuals to be sure, or so they could be sure, that they were going to be in heaven. He wanted to make sure that the path to heaven was clear for them, essentially. And Jesus spoke he, of using stories or parables, is what they're often called, a, a story with a heavenly meaning. And he spoke, at and, and sometimes he even spoke at times, taking advantage of a particular situation. One particular that comes to mind is there was a woman at a well drawing water, and Jesus talked to her about what it meant to be drawing living water. And uh, so he used circumstances in his life and uh, to bring forth a spiritual truth. So to make sure they understood things and sometimes it caused people to think a little bit deeper than what they may have otherwise. So Jesus would ask some well-directed questions uh, to make them do that. He would, he would ask them some questions at a particular time. He did, they were often rhetorical questions, um, although sometimes he did want an answer. And this morning's is one of those where he was looking for an answer. But he was wanting them and us, I believe, to think a little bit deeper and put the question back to us. And this morning's question is, who do you say that I am. <clears throat> I want you to cast your eyes to the screen as uh, you listen to this happen.
As you can see, there are many different answers to that question. If you were to ask people in Yapoon, I'm sure you would get some similar answers to what you've just heard. Some of those answers were not too bad, they were good, and um, others were just plain weird. I mean, a mythological figure who actually existed? Uh, what is that? Well, Jesus was wondering who people thought that he was as well. And so to put you in the picture a little bit of the context of where I want to go this morning, I want us to read the scenario for ourselves which led up to the question, who do you say that I am? And this part of Jesus' conversation is recorded for us in three of the four Gospels. It's not in John, but it's in Matthew, Mark and Luke, Mark 8 and Luke 9. We're reading from Matthew 16 this morning, and uh, you'll follow through on screen. But starting at verse 13, and it starts like this. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? <clears throat> and Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades 
shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom for heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. I want to say to you all, everybody, right up front, I do not want to answer the question for you this morning, who do you say that I am? I'm not going to give you an answer. And the reason for that is because I can't. I, I can't give you an answer to that because each one of us needs to be able to answer that question for ourselves. It's not something that I can tell you how to answer. And this time for this morning, it particularly is really going to be more of a time where we do a little bit more self-examination and think about some things in our, own, in our own life. I will say, though, that when Jesus asked the question, I don't think he was looking for some off-pat answer. And when he asks it of me or you or, or anyone, I don't believe that he's looking for some what we saw in the video, off-pat off -pat answers. And maybe, just maybe, that's why he pushed the disciples a little bit because the first question was really, who do men say that I am or who do others say that I am? And he, they gave them some, or gave him some off-pat answers. He said, you know, some you like Elijah or Je Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Maybe that's why Jesus pushed them a little bit because he wasn't wanting just some off-pat answer. He wanted them to be able to answer this for themselves. And so he asked them very directly then, who do you say that I am? <clears throat> and only Peter answers. And I don't know whether it's only because Peter had an answer or because Peter was impetuous, which he kind of was for a lot of the time. He answered things very quickly, often without even thinking about it. And I wonder whether Jesus even knew that and said, it's not flesh and blood that's revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Because he knew Peter. But I don't know whether you have ever thought about this question very much for yourselves, but I believe that however or whatever answer you come up with, however you want to answer that question, your answer will say more about you than it says about Jesus Christ. How you answer that question reveals how you will live and how you will think. What you stand up for will be revealed in how you answer that question. It will guide the decisions that you make and it will determine the actions that you take in every step of your life, how you answer that question. Even the words that you speak will come as a result of how you are able to answer that question. So it's not even possible remotely that I could begin to answer that question for you. And how we answer that question really does determine how we live our lives. And that's why I believe that it's one of the most important questions that you could ever answer. We can and should ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Firstly, I want to just 
ask you or, or tell you or maybe begin this whole process by looking, if we want to know who Jesus was, maybe the first thing that we need to look at is who did Jesus actually claim to be? Because if, if Jesus claimed to be somebody, we've got to work out whether he's actually telling the truth or not. So who did Jesus claim to be? Well, there are seven I am statements, which is interesting in itself. Uh, the number seven is interesting. The I am part of it is interesting. I'm not going to get into either of those things this morning. But for those who want to dig a little deeper, that's somewhere you could look. But I, there are seven I am statements that Jesus used about himself. That, that gives us a little clue under who Jesus claimed to be. And the first one was, I am the bread of life. Comes from John 6. And uh, what Jesus was actually meaning by that was, was really as talking spiritually, thinking that just as bread in the physical nourishes our body, that Jesus himself offers and sustains our spiritual lives. We need him for our nourishment and he sustains us. That's kind of the undertone of where he was going when he spoke those words. I am the bread of life. The second one, I am the light of the world was another one that he said. And John 8, <coughs> excuse me, John 8 verse 12 is where that comes from. And to a world lost in darkness, and no one could deny we are in a state of darkness in our world spiritually, at least at the moment. Christ offers himself as a guide. Jesus is the light that overcomes darkness and where he is, no darkness can exist. And so in the spiritual context, Jesus offers himself or offers direction and safety as we navigate through this world because he is the light of this world. Thirdly, he said, I am the door of the sheep, or the sheepfold in some translations. Again, in John 10, Jesus protects his followers. The, the idea of a sheep gate where the, the shepherds in that time would, would gather all their sheep in and there would be one entrance where the shepherd would lie across the entrance to protect the sheep from wolves and anyone else that would want to come in and destroy them. And Jesus says, I'm am the door. I'm the one that will protect you. He protects us as shepherds protect their flocks. But even more than that, there was only one entrance into the sheepfold. And Jesus through him saying, I am the sheep gate, is saying that there is only one entrance, there is only one way into the sheepfold, and that is through me. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the final word. Jesus shows us that he did some things with the whole death syndrome where people were worried and scared about death. Well, Jesus says, I've overcome death. I've got, I've got the victory. Death is not the final word for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death should hold no power over us because it holds no power over Jesus Christ. And those who believe in Jesus, he's saying to us that we can be assured of our presence or our place in heaven. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. Not just the sheep gate, but I am the good shepherd. 
And he is committed to caring and watching over those who are his, just as a good shepherd watches over their flock. Jesus watches over us. And he is our shepherd. We, like sheep, I was about to say we're stupid, but maybe that's not a good word to use. We're prone to wander. And we're prone to follow the sheep in front if we're not careful. We're a little ditzy at times. We, like sheep, the scriptures say, have gone astray. But Jesus, as our good shepherd, comes and looks and searches for each one of us, no matter where we've gone, and he does not give up. So Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus said also, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. The only way to heaven, we talked about in the sheep gate part of it, is through Jesus Christ. All truth and life itself are found in Jesus Christ. In, our, in other words, the answer to life's toughest questions can be found in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. And by being attached to Christ, we are able to enable the power of Christ to go through us, the power of God to go through us. Then we cannot help but bear fruit that is good that will honour the Father. Because Jesus is the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You, us, we are the branches. Those who abide in me will, will bear much good fruit. Do, if we don't bear fruit, we will be cut off, we'll be pruned and trimmed. And if we're not bearing good fruit, pruning needs to take place. And sometimes in our lives, it won't be that we're cut off from Christ because we will be still attached to Christ, but there'll be things in our life that he'll need to cut off or prune away to, in order for us to be able to bear good fruit. Knowing Jesus as our true vine means that our future is really secure. So there are seven I am statements from Jesus who he claimed to be. Now, all these statements are, are by Jesus himself. He made them himself. And essentially, what they are saying, if you want to put them all together, is that Jesus is claiming to be the, the source of all things, all truth and all knowledge and all wisdom. And if you want to get to heaven, you can only do so if you place your faith in him because he is the door to heaven or the door to salvation. He will sustain us as we allow ourselves to, or we go ourselves through that door. And he promises us, for those who do that, a place in heaven. While we're here on earth, though, we can be assured that he will help us. He will guide us. He will protect us through his Holy Spirit. But he is the source through which we seek God himself. Now, that's a huge claim for anyone to stand up and say. If any one of you were to say that, uh, most 
people would think you were a, lot, a little bit crazy. And that's what Jesus' claims were. Not crazy so much, but people thought that he was crazy in a lot of areas. They're pretty big statements. And there are other statements that were made about Jesus that Jesus didn't actually say himself, but when people spoke them about him, he didn't deny them either. So it seems to me that if Jesus didn't deny those things to be true, they probably are true, even though he didn't make that statement for it's, it's kind of, there are a number of occasions where Jesus actually implied that he was equal to God the Father by receiving honour and glory and worship that only God should deserve. There's a verse in Matthew 4, well it's actually from the Old Testament, but it says, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's in Matthew because he was uh, talking with the devil at the time. But you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Yet... What we find back, and when you go on a little bit further into Matthew 14, is that Jesus accepted the worship as God. So that says something about who he claimed to be as well. If he accepts the worship and, and recognises that you only worship the Lord your God, what is Jesus saying? We also find some other instances in Scripture where Jesus not only claims his equality with God, but he also clearly asserts that he is actually one with the Father. And during the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, Jesus was approached by, with some uh, Jewish leaders at the time who asked him about being the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. And Jesus gave them a little comment, but he ended his comments with them by saying, I and the Father am one. Now, the Jews' response to that statement and final statement that, he's, that he made clearly gives us the picture that they knew or, act, or understood that Jesus was in fact claiming to be God by his answer. Because what their answer back to Jesus was, we're not here, for good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, Make yourself out to be God. That's how they understood Jesus' comments. But Jesus didn't deny that. He didn't deny that he was God. In fact, he says, I and the Father am one. And Jesus made some other bold statements, like, if you knew me, you would also know my Father. Uh, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. And he who hates me hates my father also. And in John 5, he says that all should honour the son just as they honour the father. He who does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Jesus says that. He makes these bold and courageous statements, giving us a very clear idea of who Jesus at least claimed he was. In fact, if you want to put all that together, he was literally claiming to be God, or at least equal with God. He, he looked at himself at being much more than just a man, which the Jews recognised him as. 
So Jesus really did claim to be the answer to all of life's questions. If you want to know the answer to life's question, look to Jesus because he claims to be God. And to be fair, we need to think about that because for more than 2,000 years or about 2,000 years, lives have been changed because of Jesus Christ. And some of your lives in this room have been changed dramatically because of Jesus Christ. So to be fair, even a part of it seems a little bit true. In the process though, Jesus has rewritten the direction and outcome for human history. Everybody, at least those who want to, know about Jesus Christ or have some thoughts about Jesus Christ. He was just a great prophet. He, he's a very holy man. He's a man who knows all things, but no one understands him. He's the saviour of the world. He's like my grandfather. He wears a robe and sandals and has long hair. That's almost blasphemous. But that's what our, what's, that's what our world thinks. That's what people believe and understand. And I'm not criticising anyone for that belief today because I wonder the question, who do you say that I am? Have we really thought about that? Because realistically, there is a lot of good that has been done through Jesus Christ. But can I just add, there is a lot of harm that has been done in Jesus's name by the church, through the church and in the church. The church has not been always very well received and rightly so sometimes. There's been many who have been hurt by the church. And there are individuals who, who used to know him who don't want to know him anymore or who use him now to further their own agendas. That's difficult for us to comprehend perhaps, or maybe it's not so difficult, but it's sad that people would think like that, particularly in light of what I want to share with you this morning. Because to Jesus, it was fundamentally important that or what we believe about him. He wasn't interested in someone with a neutral idea. He wasn't worried about or interested in, you know, people who sit on the fence. He wanted an answer. Who do you say that I am? For instance, he frequently taught his followers that you need to be all in, in order to be with me. Or if you're not going to be all in, you're all out. You can't sit on the fence. And it's that message that's been carried on through the centuries since Jesus walked this earth. In fact, it's fairly true to say from Jesus's perspective, at least, that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't be a follower of the world. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, you're all in with me, but you have to be all out with the world. If you want to follow the world, you're all out with me. 
It's, it's that clear from Jesus' teaching. And it was also that point of conflict and criticism that he had with our culture and his culture, by the way. You see, how we answer the question, who do you say I am, says more about you than it does about Jesus Christ. So, was Jesus telling the truth about himself? I want to share with you some stuff from Josh McDowell. So these are not new ideas. Some of you will have heard them before, but I want you to consider this this morning. And to start off, I want us to understand or, or listen or read a statement or a, or a um, statement by C.S. Lewis. And he is one of the great Christian apologists. I'm also going to get an atheist's view in a minute, but I want you to listen to this. This is C.S. Lewis's idea about who is Jesus. And he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I agree with him. So here are some things to think about. Pulling, pulling from what C.S. Lewis's comments are is the question is, first of all, was Jesus a liar? Was he actually making these statements and actually lying about them all along? Did he make them knowing full well that he was telling a lie and trying to fool people into to following him? If Jesus knew that he was not God, then he was lying, simple as that. But if he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite because as he told others, to, they had to be honest with themselves. They had to count the cost. And if that's the case, we would, could say that Jesus made, uh, makes Jesus speak evil. He, he, what he's saying is, you, you need to do what you're doing, but do as I say, not as I do. He deliberately tells others to forsake their religious beliefs and trust him for their eternal destiny. The Jewish religious leaders actually did charge Jesus with having a demon at one point in his ministry. In fact, he was ultimately put to death for being blasphemous. And if you read through John 8 where, he talks, where he's accused of being a demon... The scripture decidedly refutes that he could possibly be from the devil. And if Jesus knew that he was lying, then he was just a fool. Because he, his claims led him to be crucified. Why would you choose that path if you knew you were lying and you knew what you were saying was just being hypocritical? Why would you continue on to get to be killed? It doesn't make any kind of sense. John Stuart Mill, 
or Mills, sorry, a philosopher. He's a skeptic and antagonist, uh, antagonistic of Christianity. And he makes this statement. He says about Jesus, he says, but about the life and the sayings of Jesus, there is a stamp of personal originality combined with profundity of insight. In the very first rank of men of sublime genius of whom our species can boast. And when this preeminent genius is combined with the qualities of probably the greatest moral reformer and martyr to that mission, whoever existed upon the earth, religion cannot be said to have made a bad choice in pitching on this man as the ideal representative and guide of humanity. Nor even now would it be easy for an unbeliever to find a better translation of the rule of virtue from the abstract into the concrete than to endeavour so to live that Christ would approve of our life. Now that's from a sceptic. What he's saying is that Jesus' life on earth was so true to who he said he was that you would have to, even as a sceptic, if you lived like Jesus was, you would be a great moral person. You would live a great life. So it seems to me that John Mills doesn't even believe that he was lying in this. At least he didn't know he was lying in this. So what he's actually saying, he was the perfect example of everything that Jesus taught, Jesus spoke, Jesus lived. There is absolutely no evidence anywhere, not just in the scriptures, but anywhere where it can be produced or has been produced in the past to show that Jesus was a liar. It just doesn't add up to what we know about him. So Jesus, it doesn't look like he was knowingly lying when he said what he said. However, what if he didn't know that he was lying? He actually really honestly believed that he was God. Was he just a lunatic? Was he a crazy man? Because I mean, like, who would say that? If, if you claim to be that, I would think you're a bit of a loony. If I said that, you would think the same of me. I'm confident of that. So if he wasn't a liar, it's feasible, or is it feasible, question, to think that he mistakenly thought that he was God. After all, you could be both sincere, but be sincerely wrong in what you teach and what you say. But again, when you look at the life that Jesus led, he displays his practical wisdom, his ability to read human hearts, his deep winning love, his passionate compassion, his ability to attract people and make them feel at home and forgiven, his authority, his ability to astonish, his unpredictability, his creativity. He had everything there in his life. Liars and lunatics are generally so dull and so predictable that you pick them a mile out. 
No one knows the Gospels and the human heart like Jesus knows the scriptures, sorry, the scriptures and the human heart. No one. And human beings can, there's not a human being around that could seriously entertain really the possibility that Jesus was a crazy man, a lunatic, or a bad man of some kind, when you actually look at the evidence that comes from that. The idea that Jesus was self-deceived or delusional is simply not compatible with what we know about Jesus Christ. It's not compatible with the impression that he has left on society for people to even know that he was a great rabbi. When the first guy, I think it was, said he died in, I'm thinking he's trying to think of the year, Israel he comes up with. He lived in Israel. But when we think about how Jesus lived, there's really not compatible with the way him being a crazy man or a lunatic. So if Jesus wasn't a liar and he, it really doesn't make sense that he was a lunatic, the only other option which C.S. Lewis picks up on as well and, and if you think there's another option, I challenge you to come up with another option. I, I've been challenged with that question, well, was there a fourth option? And I haven't really had any realistic fourth option, but three options are really where it comes to. A liar, lunatic, or Jesus really was who he said he was, Jesus is Lord. When Peter pronounced that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Did Jesus say, ah, Peter, shush, don't say that. No, of course he didn't say that. He acknowledged Peter. He says, that has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, from above. He didn't deny it. He didn't sweep it under the carpet, but recognized what Peter had said was something that was inspired from the heavenly father. And that's the question I want us to consider for ourselves this morning, if you've never experienced it or thought about it, we can decide to believe that Jesus made truthful claims about being God, but even then, we can either accept or deny that. We can say, well, I, I, he might have done that, but I don't believe in him or for, with him, or, and I'm gonna reject his claims to be God. The choice is always sitting in our lap, and it's always sitting with us, the choice for is our personal response. You can't say that my parents don't believe so, I don't believe. It may be that that may have influenced your thought, but you and I at some point in our lives need to come to our own decision on who do you say that Jesus is. The choice is entirely up to us. And God's word tells us that each one of us must choose for ourselves whether we believe or we do not believe that Jesus is Lord. I wanna ask you, well, a rhetorical question, don't answer me, but can the Bible prove that Jesus is God? The answer is probably not, not to the way that people would want it to be proven. However, when you look at the evidence that is presented in the life of Jesus, the testimony of those who followed him 
and the millions of people who since Jesus walked this earth have had their lives changed and called Jesus Lord of their lives, Jesus' claims must at least warrant some consideration. I believe they're verifiable in, in if Jesus claims to be God, then he would be able to do the things that God does. And next week, we're going to look at that a little bit further into that, but we'll look at some of the things that Jesus did that only God can do to show himself and verify for, for us that Jesus really was the Son of God. And as C.S. Lewis actually said, he says, he, Jesus didn't even leave an option open for us to consider that Jesus was just some great moral teacher. He didn't want to. He didn't intend to. He clearly wanted us to know that he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the saviour of the world. And he's much more than that. And he did and he said things that implied his divinity, that he was God. He forgave sins. He had authority over sickness at various points. He had authority over nature. He had authority over blindness, both physical and spiritual blindness, by the way. He had authority over demons. And there's a bunch of other things that we will get into as this series goes through. Jesus had authority over those things which were designated to be only under the authority of God. Only God, the Pharisees already knew that. Only God has the power, the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me just to heal him or to say that your sins are forgiven and rise up and walk? And the man gets up and he walks out of there. He didn't intend us to think that he was just some great moral teacher. He wanted us to know that he is the saviour of this world. And we can take heart that there's a lot more and increasingly more so in recent times archaeological discoveries that continue to prove the Bible's legitimacy as a document of truth. The Bible does clearly show us that Jesus was a proven historical figure. That's true. He was amazing in the way that he demonstrated love. That's true. He gave all credit to God the Father, with whom he said he was equal. That's also true. And as John wrote in the New Testament, in John 20, he says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's exactly what Jesus said he came for. I am the sheep gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of this world. I am the true vine. Which brings me to this question, who do you say Jesus is? History does not deny Jesus' existence. He, he, he really was a real person. His claims are well known and, on, and well documented. There's no question about his claims. 
His miracles could not be denied. Even th- back then, they were, question- they were confused, but they could not be denied that they took place. His life was on public display, as was his death and resurrection. The testimonies on both sides remind us that Jesus was as controversial then when he lived as he is today. But the evidence of Jesus' life, what he did, what he said, demand that we make a decision about who do you say that Jesus is. Because we can call him a liar, we can recognise him as a lunatic, or we submit him to him as our Lord. And the simple truth is, there is only one definition that actually makes sense. The consequences for us are so significant that they will affect how we live our lives. They really are. But they will affect us not only here and now, they will actually affect us for all eternity. But as I said at the start, I can't answer that question for you at all because it's your question. Jesus' life and his presence among us call us to question everything about our lives and about our world, the status quo and, and business as usual kind of thinking. Because if Jesus is Lord, then everything must change. If he says he is the only way through the gate into heaven, then our lives must take a redirect. Your, your navigation device, you've taken a wrong turn, it'll turn you around to get you on the right path. Jesus does that. That's why we should not answer this question too quickly or too glibly or, or with too much certainty straight up. We should consider who is Jesus. It's not a question to be figured out as much as it's a question really to be lived. And if you're here this morning and you would like to know more, I want to invite you to talk to me or Pastor Jasmine after this service because we do have a, have a I don't like using the word course, but it's a six-week thing or an eight-week if you prefer more, but no one prefers more these days. A course where I would, that I would love to share with you as we examine the, the facts and the truth of what Jesus claims, the claims of Christianity. Giving you the perfect opportunity to make an informed decision. I, I really don't want you to just say, oh well, it makes sense, I'll do it. I don't want that. I want you to consider for yourselves to make sure that you believe what you believe because it will be a life-changing decision that you make. Some of you have already made that. Some of us still make mistakes, by the way. We all do make, make mistakes, not some of us. If you, got, if you were shocked at that, um, you should point the finger backwards a little bit. But I want to say this. There, this, this may well be the most important day that you've ever had because I want to invite you back next week as we examine more of the claims or the questions 
of Jesus Christ. The question next week, I'll give you the heads up, is do you now believe? And we'll be looking at some of these claims of Jesus Christ. And I want you to consider between now and then what we've talked about this morning. But if you are remotely interested in knowing more, I invite you to come and talk to us after the service. I don't need you to make a decision right now about who you believe Jesus is. So let me pray with you and for you. Father, I thank you for your goodness, grace, love and mercy. And I know that you care so much for us. You love us. You show your love for us in so many different ways and often, Father, we're ignorant of those ways. But this morning, I pray that you would show us very clearly the steps that we need to take. That if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then, Father, we have a responsibility. In fact, we are required so well to, to make that decision and changes in our life that are necessary. Otherwise, Father, we're in trouble, deep trouble. So I pray this morning for each and every one of us here, even for those who have made decisions in the past, that we won't just write it off as some oblique question, but we would really understand if Jesus is Lord, how does that affect the way that I speak, the way that I dress, the way that I work, the way that I live. And to that end, Father, I pray your blessing upon each and every one as we move on into this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.